and thank you for tuning in to the occlusal table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And it's your girl, Jasmine Clyde. And today we have the pleasure of having dentists on our panel to discuss their experiences, their journey to their specialty, and taking a deeper look into residency. Let's get started. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to season yes. three. Woo! <laughs> um, on our road to residency series, I am so excited, so excited. Yes, yes. Ma'am. <laughs> All right, so today we're actually going to be discussing uh, oral and maxillofacial surgery, and we have two special guests. Uh, our first introduction here. Dr. Kenneth R. Collins II is a native of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He graduated from Jackson State University in 1993 with a Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry, obtained a Doctor of Dental Surgery degree in 1998 from Meharry Medical College School of Dentistry, and completed residency in oral and maxillofacial surgery at Howard University Hospital in 2002. He has been in private practice in the metro Atlanta South suburban city of Fayetteville for the past 17 years. So give it up for Dr. Collins. <laughs> and then we have Dr. Evan Joseph, who is originally from Fort Worth, Texas. He grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and attended the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia. He is currently he graduated from Meharry Medical College School of Dentistry in 2019. He is currently a second-year oral and maxillofacial surgery resident at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. He is currently undecided on postgraduate plans. However, he's leaning towards private practice and part-time academia. All right. Woo! All right. Thank you for being on the show. We have doctor doctors in the building. I love doctor it. Doctor doctors. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so our first question is, um, when did you all pursue, want to pursue oral and maxillofacial surgery and why did you choose that path? So we can start with Dr. Collins. Um, well, for me, it was based on personal experiences. I, um, was, got braces when I was actually 10 years old and, uh, being that I'm so much older than you guys, you can only imagine I was the only African-American at my school with braces. And uh, that early phase, I had to get my four bicuspids taken out. Uh, general dentist performed that. And from there, I uh, went on to get braces by the only one of two orthodontists in my hometown, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. At about 15 years old, I still had braces. Noticed some new teeth coming in in the posterior. Went to the orthodontist for one of my checkups. And he said, oh, those need to come out. Those are your wisdom teeth. And after going to the only or a maxillofacial surgeon in my town. Uh, I was impressed by title, went and did some research and found out what that specialty of medicine, which was a truly a specialty of dentistry and medicine together. Uh, I was so impressed that I thought this would be something really cool to do. And it uh, stuck with me through the remainder of my education. And when the opportunity presented itself, I sought it out and it, it worked out for me. Um, just to add to that, uh, I actually had a very personal experience myself. Um, it was actually after my first year of dental school, uh, shortly after part one, 
Um, I had a family member down in uh, Atlanta who actually had a, a fall at home, um, had some facial fractures. It was actually my uncle. And um, it was a, it was an interesting story because the, the surgeon who actually ended up doing uh, performing his surgery was actually a Meharry grad, uh, Dr. Tracy Dillon. Um, I met him um, actually in the pre-op uh, before my uncle's surgery um, and actually asked for a shadowing opportunity at that time. Um, really, I honestly didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, I, I asked to go kind of shadow him uh, in his office uh, down in uh, Midtown and I got uh, some experience in the, the private office. Um, I really liked um, what I saw, I like the speed of his office. I like the uh, the procedures that I saw, um, but I also understood that you know that this was like a very small um, scope of of oral surgery. Um, and I think when I got back to Meharry um, shortly after um, for my second year of dental school, I just tried to really kind of seek out opportunities uh, within the school of dentistry. Um, I used to go down to the OS clinic and kind of, you know, really to shadow the upperclassmen. Um, I remember um, seeing Dr. Danielle in the in the uh, hallways all the time, and I just was always very interested in what they did. And uh, just the more that I learned about the scope, the more I became, you know, really fascinated in it. Um, and as I got more hands on in the clinic um, at Meharry, it just kind of confirmed my interest in it. So. Uh, yeah, from there, just kind of pursued it and did everything I could to to be around those those people who I wanted to be like. Wow, and I, I did some similar things as you have in my freshman year. As soon as I got to Meharry, I went straight to the oral surgery department. And Dr. Robin Daniel was an instructor at our time, too, during my time as well. And so I would work with Robin in the evening times and on Fridays to observe and, and get a some type of snapshot of what it was like. And Robin was really gracious. He invited invited us into his life in general. And uh, so he was a great mentor. And then Dr. Bennett was around. He also served as a mentor. And just prior to my senior year, Dr. Charles Williams showed up and he also became a mentor. So I had a wealth of knowledge from three different individuals who were kind of different in personality. Their areas of uh, what I found to be uh, I guess attributes that you want to pull from were different too. So uh, each of them, uh, I, I would say, were great contributors to confirming uh, what I felt was impressed upon me in high school that I want to pursue. And um, it, like I said, it worked out, but it didn't just fall together without taking some effort because you do have to invest in yourself and put yourself in it. And you shadow Dr. Dillon, you know, that's one of my good, good, good brothers there. And uh, he and I trained together. He's two years ahead of me. So when I started residency, Dr. Dillon was a third year uh, resident. So uh, it seems the circle is very small, uh, especially when it comes to black or maxillofacial surgeons. You don't meet too many that uh, you don't know or know somebody that knows. And uh, that's a good and a bad thing because we really could use more of us. And uh, I hope, you know, hopefully we'll get to snatch up Evan here in the next uh, couple of years, too. For sure. And I, I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, just kind of what you're bringing up. I do want to touch on that. Um, I think that Meharry was very um, influential in my decisions um, to pursue oral surgery. I think that um, even now, just in the state of, you know, what, you know, things are kind of going on in our in our country. Um, representation is very important. And I think that. Um, 
you know, seeing the Dr. Williams and Dr. Daniels and even you, Dr. Collins, when you came to uh, to Meharry, you know, to kind of speak on different engagements uh, during my third year really influenced me because, you know, being able to see someone um, in that position really makes it uh, it makes it more attainable and a more realistic goal for me. You know, a lot of times I have, you know, these ambitions or these things, these thoughts um, that I want to do a lot of things, but it's they're only, you know, thoughts until I really sometimes see somebody else doing them. And then I can understand, like, that is very possible. And I think that is uh, it's so necessary, uh, especially right now, uh, the times that we're in. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and I'm glad that you all uh, elaborated more on representation because it definitely, definitely matters. Um, and even for those that are following in your footsteps, uh, other young, um, aspiring uh, Black oral and maxillofacial surgeons, um, for those that are interested, what advice would you give um, on taking the CBSE uh, exam? How did you tackle it? Um, when's the best time to take it? Uh, is it even a make, make it or break it kind of uh, tool when you're applying? Um, if you can speak on that, that would be great. Of course, you guys know that was prior to my time. That's after my time, as I said before. So I'm definitely having to take it. But what I will tell you is one thing that always remains consistent is, you know, oral maxillofacial surgery is probably the toughest residency program to match in. And so you, I would advise any student that is interested, you need to start day one of ensuring that, uh, you know, you are right there at the top of the class or somewhere in there and that you're letting the uh, instructors, the professors, and everyone associated with oral surgery know your interest right off the bat. Um, I used to hear students or older students say, everybody comes to school and there's always, every student probably has some interest in oral surgery. And it starts to, you know, you whittle it down as the years go by. Oh, I can't do that much time. Oh, it's too hard. And by the time you get to the end of the uh, fourth year, you're probably only one or two of you left that are really interested. But those one or two, you really have to, to grind and do everything you can to uh, impress upon those who are going to write letters and support you, uh, potentially make phone calls, uh, that this person is serious. And for us, again, it was about board scores, uh, class rank. Uh, GPA, personal statement, and your interview. Uh, with this new format, I think it's even more difficult because uh, although we had some uh, medical training, somewhat in dental school, the test you take now really forces you to dig more into the medicinal side of things where you're not just your didactics and your clinical is not just based on what you understand dental wise, but you're forced to get yourself almost feeling like a first year resident. So when you became a first year resident and a lot of those things you saw or read, now you were doing them. And so, uh, but from my perspective, it's always tie yourself to the right people who can advise you, uh, work your tail off in dental school. And I would say do that anyway. So that way in the end, the choice is yours. You know, and uh, you, uh, you know, make yourself competitive with everybody in the nation. Yeah, yeah and I, I can honestly um, agree, honestly, on everything Dr. Collins has just said. It, and it sounds like it hasn't changed much um, <laughs> from when you uh, were in dental school. Mm -hmm. um, it's really about putting your best foot forward. Um, 
and honestly, it is from day one. I think that um, your preclinical um, classes are, are very important because it really sets that foundation. If you do want to take the CBSE, which is the equivalent to step one, that I mean, that starts when you come in, you know, if it's Mahir, you come in and maps and you start taking microbiology, start uh, biochemistry, you start anatomy. Those those are three, you know, things that are literally on the CBSE and they, you know, they have dedicated questions that are going to be from, you know, those specific um, fields. But, you know, I think that Dr. Collins kind of mentioned also um, being aware that you know, people are also watching you and everything that you do. So being aware of the relationships that you establish uh, throughout um, each year, throughout your dental school um, matriculation, because you never know who you will um, need for, you know, letters of recommendation or, um, you know, you never know who knows who. This is a very small um, world, I think, that, you know, with even within um, – or surgery, black oral surgeons are really, you know, you're only maybe one or two people away from the person that you probably want to get in the room with. So understanding that, um, you know, you have to be able to network, you have to be able just to kind of put it together as a whole. It's not just, um, it's not just your GPA. Uh, it's not just um, that CBSC score. You know, you do have to uh, make sure that you go visit these programs. So like for when I was going through uh, dental school, I had to make sure I did externships. And that was an opportunity to not only um, expand your knowledge of oral surgery, the scope, what, um, you know, what it may be like to be a resident. It's also your time to understand, you know, the dynamics of um, residency in general, the life of a resident, um, the attendings, you know, how the, the style of their, they're teaching and um, you know, if you can really even see yourself in that life, because it is going to be a, a commitment, you know, it's a, it's a big commitment. I don't think that you always understand what you're asking for. Um, so, um, you know, I think I said a lot, but I think it all, I, I think it, it all comes back to kind of putting to everything together as a whole, right. You need your GPA, Definitely to be, um, I think they usually ask for, honestly, like the top 10 within your class um, for a CBSC score. Usually um, to be competitive, they'll throw out the benchmark number of 65, which is uh, an equivalent of around like a 190 on a step one score. So usually that's like the benchmark for an interview uh, to, to secure an interview. Um, and then outside of that, you know, definitely your your letters of recommendation, um, thinking about, you know, um, who you want to kind of represent you and ask for a favorable letter of recommendation and not just asking for a recommendation in general. Um, I think that's very important. Um, your personal statement, um, your personal statement can be, you know, one that's can be tricky because you don't want to say too much, but you also want to allow uh, yourself to shine and kind of pop on paper so you can get an interview. I think the name of the game is really just trying to secure an interview so you can then sell yourself um, in the room when you're finally, you know, amongst those people who are uh, potentially going to be, you know, um, your attendings and eventually your colleagues after you finish. So, um, 
I think I said a lot, but I hope, you know, I hope I kind of touched on everything. And, then, and I'm glad you laid all of that out for us, Dr. Joseph, because I know a lot of people who are aspiring oral and maxillofacial surgeons want to know the guidelines on if they could even secure an interview. So I know there are some people who are at the top of their class, but then there's some people who aren't like maybe in the middle 50% of the class. So what advice would you give to someone who's not necessarily in the top of their class? They shouldn't be, I, we shouldn't discourage them, of course, but what advice would you give? Well, you're absolutely right. And I know several surgeons that that fall, that that situation is exactly theirs, but uh, they did exactly what, what Evan was talking about. They did externships. Uh, some of them found one year internships in oral surgery at different programs around the country. Um, you can go into a GPR and Dr. Bennett, when he started the program at Meharry, that was a requirement. You used to have to do a GPR or a oral surgery internship for one year prior because he wanted you to be 100% sure that this was the direction you wanted to go. Um, I wanted to do the program at Meharry because I found myself uh, very uh, pulled in by Dr. Bennett. And of course, Dr. Williams came and of course, Dr. Daniel was my guy. I uh, wanted to be there with those guys, but Dr. Bennett requiring that GPR kind of sent me the other way. And I remember uh, asking him, you know, Dr. Bennett, you know, I don't want to do that GPR. I don't want to take a year. I'm competitive right now. Why do I have to do it? You know, and Dr. Bennett's where it's, God damn it, because I told you to, you know, and literally that was the response, you know, and you couldn't say anything, Dr. Bennett, because what he said is, was the law. And uh, that's why, you know, I explored programs outside of Meharry and uh, because I felt I was competitive and wanted to leave. But back to your original question, um, if you stick with it, I've known guys that have gone and done a, there we go. Sorry about that guys. I forgot we even had them. We're probably the only people in the country with a house phone. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, these guys stuck with it. Some of them did more than one postgraduate program. They may have done a GPR, they did an internship, but they also did exactly what Evan said. They got to know the attendings, they got in these programs and they had a work ethic that was unmatched, uh, proved that they were dedicated, worked their tails off, and maybe their dental school transcript didn't show that stellarness that they would have, but what they did after the fact. So. It's not over until you say it. It may take you a couple of times to get there, but um, you can do a bunch of stuff. There are dental anesthesiology uh, residencies you can do. A lot of things that can just improve your overall CV and the way you look as a candidate. So I would tell anyone, if it's something that you come too late and you feel like dental school was, was a little tougher or you just weren't locked in, it's not over. If you want to do oral maxillofacial surgery, there's a way to get there. Uh, you just need to get a good mentor or good mentors, talk to people uh, like like Evan and these other young residents and find out some of the things they recommend. And I think you'll be right on your way. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would uh, definitely agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, I guess simply put, don't tell yourself no. Um, and I think that I can really, I can really um, kind of relate uh, to that because I was not you know, the most competitive um, applicant. 
I think. Um, I didn't have a 3.9 GPA. I didn't have, you know, a 90 on the CBSE. Um, but I did try to control the things that I could control. And by that, I mean um, just kind of doing the things that don't require you to be the smartest or, or to require talent, right? Just working hard and just really trying to go in above beyond to find opportunities, seek out opportunities. And if the opportunities aren't there that you want, you have to try to create those, right? Um, so what I mean by that is, um, for example, I think during my second year um, at uh, Meharry, you were not um, allowed to go on externships as a second year dental student, right? So I knew that uh, one thing that I could do was actually assist in the oral surgery clinic. And, you know, I could just be, be around the, either the residents or the third and fourth year students. So during my spring break of second year, I just spent the entire spring break in the oral surgery clinic with, and, and it actually worked out because I ended up being kind of like one of the only students that kind of stayed around. And I got one-on-one time with Dr. Sutherland at the time who was, you know, in the oral surgery clinic. So I got hands-on experience. I really got to like really be in there, you know, kind of get a little bit more attention. Um, same thing with uh, Dr. Bruno Coloba when he was there, I was always trying to assist him. You know, um, I think that this kind of asking people who are where you want to be, just really trying to pick their brain and, and really just seeking out opportunities. I remember um, Dr. Sanders, who's now down at Houston, um, who's a resident there, fifth year. I used to, I literally used to always ask her, like, you know, what does she do as a second year um, to kind of pursue oral surgery or, you know, what are some things I can be reading? What are I really tried to pick. I probably annoyed her uh, a lot, but I really tried to ask her and pick her brain about things. Dr. Bruno Coloba, who was uh, a resident at the time when I was a dental student, I just really tried to pick his brain about things and really, um, I just really tried to be around the people who I wanted to be like so much. Um, and I think, honestly, one of the per- people who really, who really was very intru- influential um, in my whole pursuit of oral surgery was Dr. Perkins. Um, when Dr. Perkins became the oral surgery chair at Meharry, um, she honestly, um, you know, she had me do a lot of things that Dr. Collins kind of mentioned. She made sure that, you know, I went on externships and I went to different programs outside of Meharry. Um, and when I was applying, she made sure that I, you know, tried to secure the one uh, year internship, you know, just in case that I did not a match into a four-year or six-year program. You know, I had that set up regardless. You know, if I didn't get in and match, I was going to do a one-year internship. And if I didn't get a one-year internship, I was going to go do a hospital-based dentistry program because I, I still wanted to rotate through internal medicine. I still wanted to be able to go into the OR. I wanted to be able to work with oral surgery, attendings, and residents. So, like, you know, I have a backup, but I also have a backup for my backup. Like, regardless of what may happen, I'm still going to like, I'm, I'm trying to like make a lane and make a way to get to oral surgery, right? Um, so just understanding that it may not look exactly how you think it's going to look, um, but if you want it, it can happen. You have to, you know, whatever you believe in, I don't know what you 
you know, who, what everybody believes in and your listeners. But, you know, with me, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. You know, I'm very spiritual and I hold on to, you know, um, God put me here for a reason, you know, and I feel as if, you know, uh, if he is with me, then I, I can do anything. So um, just understanding that and holding on to that, I really just kind of, you know, let that kind of push me through and, you know, uh, yeah, God got me and he, he got me here. So, you know, I hold on to that for sure. That's such a great point, really, because I think everyone has this timeline stuck in their head. Like, oh, I need to be here at this time. Oh, I need to get into school in a year from now or two years from now. I need to get into dental school right after I finish undergrad. So I just think it's really important that your path is all squibbles and squabbles and everything. And it's not definitely straightforward. But of course, it's on God's time as well. It's on God's time. Um, so, I want to yes. add to that just to, just to say, you know, after uh so like in undergrad i actually i played um football in undergrad right so i was very much like focused on sports i was you know thinking hey i'm going to the league this is what i'm going to do right um and being realistic you know most people who go and play sports in, in college they're not going to the league right so um i had to humble myself at, at a certain point and it took me three years to get into dental school and to get into Meharry. So I didn't even feel like I was the ideal dental school applicant. Right. And so when I got to Meharry, I, I felt like, you know, I questioned if, he, if I was even supposed to be in dental school. So, you know, understanding that people are coming from, you know, to, like different places, I get it. And just do not, don't count yourself out. Right. Um, you know, yeah, just keep going. You can do it regardless of how it looks. You know, you can you can make it work. So for sure. It's definitely a journey. So I guess we can start talking about your journey to residency. So what is the process like to get to residency? And I guess take us through your first day of residency. We'd love to hear about it. <laughs> well, I guess I'll start with this. I don't know. I tell you guys, I feel like the old man in the room for real. But you guys have great energy, so y'all, y'all, y'all making me feel revved up here. Well, I tell you, I like this story. I like your story, Evan. That's excellent. Uh, for me, I'm a little. I was a little different than you guys are going to be, as well as Evan, because I was married by the end of my first year of dental school, and when I graduated from dental school, my son turned one year old the same day I graduated. So, and didn't know why my wife was pregnant again. So we left Nashville and moved to DC and I had a baby and a baby on the way. And I will tell you, it compounds the challenge of being a resident because oral maxillofacial surgery residency is no joke. It is extremely demanding. It is, uh, it's rough, no doubt about it. But it is, of course, it's, it's just like dental school. You ask for it. So no one asks you. No one comes and says, hey, Taylor, Jasmine, Evan, do you want to go to dental school? Nope. You ask for the opportunity. So when you get there, you do what's necessary to achieve the objective. Same thing with surgery. And I can recall uh, having a tough moment there because, again, it was so much going on. And one of the ortho residents at Howard, he could see it in my face. And he said, don't worry things will be greater later. And literally, it changed my whole perspective because, again, there was just so much going on. Uh, but my first day, I showed up 
at uh, DC General Hospital, which was an outside rotation uh, from uh, Howard University Hospital. It was a level one trauma center, uh, very, very busy. And uh, I walked in, I think about 8.30 and I had a suit on. And uh, a couple of female residents said, oh, don't you look handsome? I'm like, oh man, I'm sharp. Huh? <laughs> Chief resident looked and said, yeah, man, nice suit. You got some scrubs? I said, no. He said, I'll tell you what, go home and pack a bag because you're on call tonight. Wow. I mean, it was just that cold. And I left, went back home, told my wife and shocked to her system. Wait a minute, this is your first day at work. You did no work, but you're coming home to change clothes, pack a bag and go back. And uh, got back. And as I told you guys earlier, the uh, second year resident that was on call with me. Now, first of all, they let you know when you get back, you're going to be on call every other night for two weeks. Call was 24, was overnight. I'm sorry, not 24 hours, was overnight. So whatever you did in the clinic today, if you're on call tonight, you don't go home. Everybody else goes home. And then you get up the next day and you work the clinic the full day, OR, post-op, rounds, whatever it took. Now, of course, the things I'm saying now are illegal now. So Evan doesn't have to do it like that. But you were absolutely exhausted. And uh, that same evening, I tell you, we went to dinner and she said, we got to go to bed. And that pager went off so many times that first night. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Lord, I've been talking about doing this since I was in high school, reading books about it. Uh, trying to meet people. At the time, I can recall in the uh, uh, late 80s, there was Jet Magazine had a picture of Renee McCoy Collins, the first and like, only black female oral maxillofacial surgeon, and she's my attending. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the lady I used to see in Jet Magazine. And so you're right here with the people you've heard about. I've been there at Meharry with legends, Charlie Williams, and Robin Daniel, and uh, C. Ray Bennett. So you've done everything you're supposed to do, but when it came time to do it, 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 was, it was not what you thought. My first day of rounds after that first night, uh, my chief resident told me I was less than an amoeba. I wasn't even a paramecium. That's what he said to me. In his words, I won't use the expletive he said, but you don't know anything. And you know what? But Dr. Williams kind of told me, he said, you have a database that's very, very narrow. You think you know some stuff because you're one of the top students in your class, but you really don't know much. So your objective is to add to your database every day. You got that narrow database that should get wider by the day. So I didn't take what you don't know as a problem. I took, okay, this is the next thing I need to make sure I know. So we at the door and they're quizzing me on fluids and electrolytes. They know I don't know anything. But the hint is you better go read tonight. And you just continue to add to it. And uh, but that first day was rough. That was, that, was a, that was a good litmus test. Because again, in my case, after being gone for like 36 hours, now I'm going home to a wife with a one-year-old. And she works too. We like it was different, but it was. I would say for me, it was what I needed. All of the challenges, like you said, God put you where you're supposed to be. 
all of those challenges really pulled me in because you think about your undergrad days and things such that and you get to Meharry, you still feel like you're in college. You know, and you guys know I'm not telling you any falsehood here. Meharry is fun. You know, I mean, you still have all the fraternities, sorority things, you know, the, the people you're in class with, they're just as crazy <laughs> as, as just regular people. And so you really can get down on people with every at every level. You find out, hey, we can be as sharp as we need to be, but we also can lay back. And so Meharry was a great experience. But once you get to residency, now you still got some cool people around you, but it's serious, serious business. And um, people are holding you accountable. It's no do-overs for the most part. You, you, you mess up bad enough, you're out of there. I mean, you're gone, gone. And, uh, you know, but the beauty with dentistry is we can still go right to work, you know, <laughs> as long as you have a license. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, that, that was my first day experience. Yeah, I think uh, definitely uh, that's that's tough right there, because I think Dr. Collins has a different experience having a, a, an entire family on top of the uh, responsibilities of oral surgery. So I, I definitely. No, a lot of respect for you, Dr. Collins, for sure. For sure. Hey, I was on call when my wife went into labor with the second baby. Oh, my goodness. And so we had the the one-year-old at the hospital with us, and we're like, you're on call, and you're the only one on call now. So you can't, like, leave. So we hadn't been there with – I hadn't been there with three months. So I had to call a neighbor – in the apartment complex that we've only known for two or three months to come pick our son up to give my mother-in-law a chance to fly in the next day to watch him until we can come home with the baby. And they gave me like a half a day off to get my wife home and get everything set up and I was right back. So wow. uh, so as I so it, it was it was it was a it was a it was a unique time, you know, and residencies, you know, it takes over your life. So really, I was, you know, I hate to say it, but I was fighting to squeeze the family time in because residency runs your life. If you're not working, you're reading. If you're not reading, you're working. And if you're on call, you're working and reading and studying and trying to stay up to speed because there is no let up. There is no excuse. You come prepared. You're not ready. You're going to be exploited. Right, right, yeah. right. And I think that that was probably one of the most difficult um, things for me transitioning into residency. The amount of the amount of information that you are receiving throughout the day is just so much. I think they they said something about like it's almost like drinking through a, a fire hose when you first start residency. Is this the information is is this so that you know you're just trying to hold on to something and at the same time you know you're trying to receive all this information you know you have your uh your whether it's your attendings or it's your senior residents you know they they're asking you questions and they're you know they understand that you don't know some of these things that they're asking you but they're proving a point to you they they are making it um real for you that you know there's so much information and the only way that you're really going to um be able to even kind of survive is just you have to you have to take it day by day right you have to do something every single day you have to lay a brick a day almost right um and i think it is a humbling experience also because it 
it kind of it levels you and it it makes you realize that as an intern that you you don't know anything um and but you're looking at people that you know who you want to be like and you have to kind of you have to raise the bar right um so for my first day i can i remember my first day at clinic uh vividly i was actually at uh mlk hospital which is like our outpatient center um and uh my chief uh dr collins who's who was a third year at the time we had a patient come in um i believe he had a uh I want to say it was a as a mandible fracture, and he asked me. He said, "Have you ever seen arch bars? Have you ever placed arch bars before?" And um, you know, I was thinking in my head, oh, I've, "I've seen them. I've seen them placed before. You know, I've never placed them myself." He was like, "Okay, well, come on, let's go or whatever." And I'm thinking like, "He's like, yeah, come on, let's go. I'm gonna show you how to do my. I'm, I'm gonna do one side. You're gonna do the other side, and then you know, we'll keep it rolling, right?" And um, so we, you know, we started on the maxilla. He started on his side. You know, he had me start on my side. And, uh, you know, I, we got it done, the max a little. And he was like, okay, all right, well, you got it from here, right? And, you know, I kind of looked at him. He was like, yeah, okay, all right, let me know when it's done. <laughs> so at that point, you know, I had, you know, he, he showed me what to do. You know, he had the expectation. You know, at this point, you know, you know what to do now. You know, let's take care of the patient and let's get it done. Um, and I think it was one of those things that he really kind of, he just showed me that, um, you know, yeah, you know, you, you thought you wanted this, but I'm about to show you what it's, it's going to take to uh, kind of, you know, kind of stay stay up here on par with us. And um, it was an eye-opening experience. And, and at the time, it felt like it was so much. But, you know, now I realize that, you know, he was just making a point to me that, hey, you know, you have to get with it. And there's just a program that you have to kind of you know, it's either sink or swim at this point, right? And I think um, there's a pride thing, but there's also just something um, that you have to hold on to to understand that you're there for a reason and that you can do it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like Dr. Collins said, it's honestly, um, your time is no longer really yours. Um, you have to understand that uh, although residency is, you know, it's a finite amount of period, uh, amount of time that you know, you just have to kind of lock in and just really understand that this is the time to really hone your craft, your techniques, learn as much as possible, and um, just really dedicate your time to, you know, what it is that you you said that you wanted. Um, and just understand that, you know, that time isn't, it isn't um, forever, but, you know, it's the time to really dedicate yourself to, um, you know, what you what you have at hand for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of on the go training, <laughs> but, uh, with being on both sides of the fence, um, dental and medical, has there ever been a time where you seemed as though your MD counterparts, um, didn't consider you like on the same level or, uh, like your training wasn't as adequate? You know, we always go day to day in society that, oh, dentists aren't doctors. So has there ever been a time where you had to face that or what are your thoughts on that? You know what? The at Howard University Hospital, a lot of residency programs. And, you know, once we went off on second year, we did the off-service rotations. We did them our second year, whereas whereas uh, Evan says he's been he's done some first year and he's doing some second year. But you always find that the oral maxillofacial surgery residents were considered some of the best residents, no matter what service they were on. We were on internal medicine, 
uh, general surgery, uh, working in the ICU, anesthesiology. But we had that reputation because I think we knew we were always expected to not know as much. So we always never disappointed. We had the work ethic and came with the knowledge base. So I think um, they were many times surprised to see some of the things that we did or do. Uh, but for the most part, we didn't have any issues. There were always turf wars, though. When you start thinking of the crossover departments like your ENT and plastics, uh, that's when you could run into some of those things there. One sometimes want to try to discredit you because they want these cases for themselves and uh, vice versa. But if you go to most uh, hospitals around the country that have uh, facial trauma, that's covered by plastics, ENT and oral and max. And so the reality is they know the skill set of what we bring. Now, when it comes to us, you know, we kind of have that benefit of straddling right in the middle that coalescence of medicine and dentistry based on how we train and uh, where we come from, but we are a dental specialty. Um, but you'll have, but you, you know, we've got a lot of our counterparts that have dual degrees. They'll kind of not mention much of that dental side and get a little cocky, but the reality is if there is a turf war, they're battling that same war. So whether you're four years certified or you're six year MD, unless you're working in an educational setting, you're still dealing with a lot of those battles when it comes to delineation of privileges based on the state you're in. So if uh, Evan, he decides he wants to stick around California, he wants to start doing total body plastics. There's some guys that's going to want to fight with him, not because he can't do it, but they don't want him stealing their thunder. And uh, But we have all that at our disposal. It just depends on where you go, uh, what you want to do. and uh, But we have it within our own you know, career path, the dental specialties and all around. We're always picking on each other. Oh, you know, you don't need to be doing that. You know, you need to send that to me. You know, so it's not just uh, the medical community. We feel may do it. We'll do it to each other as well. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, we really shouldn't even worry about what they think. Uh, Dentistry as a whole has proven itself to be so essential in healthcare overall. We know our ties to cardiovascular health and beyond, but i tell you what, I'm gonna throw this part out here because it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with being a healthcare provider, but we make more money than they do. And a lot of times they don't like that. Now, of course you've got some exceptions, but for the most part, dentistry is a strong revenue producer. We are procedure-based healthcare. They may call it dental medicine, but overall, you go to foreign countries, dentistry is a medical specialty. And, you know, there was a time at the University of Kentucky, they tried to create this oral physician. You guys ever heard about that? An oral physician? Yeah, it didn't work out. (laughs) Obviously. Right. Well, but the concept, I think, was great because what it was trying to do was get rid of this thing you're talking about, this stigma that we're the doctors and you're just dentists. Well, no, you're a physician and we're dentists. We're still specialties. We're still healthcare professionals. So University of Kentucky was going to fix that while a five-year oral physician program. So you're going to go to dental school, but you're going to do one more year and you're going to get an MD as well. So you're going to automatically graduate with a DDS-MD. It's five years, but it just didn't take. I don't know all the nuances there. But but all of that is just a move to try to placate someone else. For our confidence, we don't need that. We know exactly what we are, who we are, what we are in the community, what purpose we serve, and we make a damn good living at it. 
So don't be apologetic. You don't have anything to prove to anyone. Ignorance is just ignorance. Let people believe what they believe. But I guarantee you, if that tooth hurts bad enough, they'll be at your door. Oh, yeah. If that front smile is looking Waffle House-ish, they'll be at your front door. So we serve our purpose. Yeah, I think that's that was you know, very well said. I think, you know, just my perspective, uh, being uh, a resident within the hospital, you know, there are definitely politics within the hospital. And I think that if you want to get, you know, caught up in every single thing or really read into everything somebody may say, then, of course, you probably be offended by, you know, probably anything somebody says to you uh, working in a hospital. But, um, you know, being um, rotating through all the different, you know, departments, I can definitely agree. I think that we probably work, um, honestly, the hardest. We we work right up there with anybody in the hospital. I don't think that, um, you know, that we're ever thought of as less than. Um, in our department, actually, you know, we, we rotate um, with – uh, ENT and plastics uh, for our face or trauma call every third day. Um, so there is overlap there. Um, we do joint cases with ENT and plastics from time to time. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't really kind of read into it. I think, you know, my time is kind of better served worrying about other things that really matter. Um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, we do just fine within the hospital. We hold our own, um, and I think that other departments understand that as well. And they honestly, they enjoy having us uh, on their service. You know, uh, we're, we're in the emergency department. You know, we can we can handle their handle their, you know, the lacerations and their their traumas that come in. And it kind of it, it helps them. It, it honestly does help the other departments. And I think that um, understanding that we are a consulting service and when we receive a page from any other department, they're asking our expertise for a reason because we are the experts of, you know, whatever that is, the, the head and neck, right? So they're not asking you just to ask you out of, you know, oh, this is just protocol. They're asking you because they genuinely do not know how to manage whatever they're asking you to to help them with. So right. understanding, you know, um, you know, what we need to know um, in order to try to kind of treat the patient um, as, as best as we can is, is what's important. And we kind of try to focus on that. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything Dr. Collins already kind of spoke on. So. And I think also, um, Meharry really teaches us to not read into everything. Like don't get offended by what people say. They're just giving you constructive criticism and just don't read into it because you'll go home crying every single day, truthfully. So I think that's a good point. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Well, you're right, Meharry was good to put a little extra pressure on you, but let me tell you something. You hadn't seen pressure like oral maxillary facial surgeons or tendings and your chief residents put on you. I'm talking, I used to see grown men and women cry at the door outside a patient's room. Wow. And so, uh, and you're bowing them. You better stop, you know, and uh, because it is a, uh, it's a balancing act, you know. Uh, but Meharry does get you ready for something because they don't pull too many punches either. Uh, it is that old philosophy. We're going to break you down and build you up. Uh, you'll find that your counterparts at other majority schools, they have a lot more resources than we have. And Meharry, you learn how to do things the new way, but you also learn how to do it the old way. Uh, 
And so you find yourself impressing people because something happens to throw things off. You find a way to keep on going. They're going to shut the day down and say, oh, I guess we're done for the day. We find a way to make it happen. The ingenuity and the creativity uh, that we had to come up with and that Harry really required of you. Uh, it comes in handy and it's going to come in handy for all you guys and whatever you choose in private practice. I know which way you're heading at, but, but you ladies as well, no matter what, you're going to figure out how to do it. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, we can thank Meharry for that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I think that uh, Meharry's students are probably some of the most resilient um, out of anyone, you know, and I think that really does take you, some things are just intangible that you can learn. I think that that can kind of take you so much further than, um, you know, some of the other things that you may have learned, you know, at a, you know, a, a strictly purely academic dental school, some things, you know, it'll, it'll take you much further than you, than you realize. Absolutely. Exactly. Giving us the tools that we need, even if it's from the, our upperclassmen or a professor, just little things we just remember and take with us to the clinic because we just started clinic and it feels like we've just been, you know, thrown in there. We don't know <laughs> what is going on at all. I remember we are just <laughs> lost. Yeah. Super lost, but you know, little tidbits here and there are really helping us. For example, we have big sips still. So my big sips always like, okay, you do this, you open it this way. I'm gonna give you this paper, and you do it this way, and it's really a lifesaver. Truthfully, it is. That's, so that's, and that's very that's very similar to our residency in general, right? Um, it's very very much like the big sip, little sip thing because at the end of the day, you're all working for the same service, right? The same department. So. I have to make my co-resident's job easier. That's the whole point. Like, I don't want to leave him with any extra work. Like, if I finish early, I'm staying to help him and vice versa. Like, it's, you know, at the end of the day, like, we're a team. And, you know, you really have to kind of come together and, and accomplish the goal. And at the end of the day, when we all finish residency and we go to private practice or wherever we're going, we're still going to be a part of the team. It's not going to be just you, the doctor, seeing everyone, right? Um, so you have to understand that, you know, you have to play a part and be able to kind of, you know, facilitate um, when needed. So Exactly. So we're going to transition into the business aspect of oral surgery. Um, so would you suggest a DSO, which to our listeners, that is a dental service organization, um, private practice or associateship? And um, what's your background work experience? Okay. Well, um I finished residency in 2002, and um, when I came to Atlanta, I started working with what you would call a DSO. At that time, they weren't being classified as that. And, um, you know, it was an interesting experience for me at that time. I had, a, you know, uh, for the first group I worked with, I was the first and only black specialist with the group. And so that was different in itself. Uh, when I came, my first day of work, I was uh, told to enter through the back where everyone's in the break room. And I say good morning to everybody. Nobody spoke to me. I mean, not even a hello. And wow. you know what? I, and it didn't really bother me. I just took notice because I was there to, you know, take care of patients and do what I needed to do. And they looked down the hall. I used to have this thing where I work with the lights off, turn the lights in the room off. The only light I'd have on is the one that's shining in the patient's oral cavity. And I have my surgical hat on. It's like everybody looked like, I think that guy's a surgeon, you know. Now here comes everybody, come talk to you. And uh, so that was a little odd. 
And uh, but, you know, we got past that. But what I found for me is that and what I found for most oral surgeons is 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 we were trained to be aggressive. And so they always tell you as a resident, you got to be aggressive. You got to assert yourself. You got to make these cases happen. You got to just that and so forth. And so for me, I found myself being really analytical with everything that was going on. I worked for that group for almost a year. Then I transitioned to another DSO type group. But I started, I started work July of 02. By November of 03, I had my own practice. And so I felt like I needed to get out on my own because I was so analytical of everything that was going on. I had so many questions. I had things that I didn't agree on. And you find yourself being disagreeable and because it just was, I was too disagreeable about things. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Oh, we need this monitor. Oh, that monitor is not up to standard. Oh, this, that. And you just find myself running into walls everywhere I went. So I said, you know what? It's best I do this myself. Now, the one thing I did is I learned the codes when I was doing that time working with these different guys. I learned all the codes or as many as I could to try to understand billing, uh, to try to understand how you got paid, uh, insurance companies that you wanted to play a role with, understanding Medicaid, Medicare, things such as that. And I'll still, there's still a lot to learn even today, but I tried to verse myself in as much of that as possible before I left. And even when I opened my practice, I still kept a little side gig initially until I realized that my practice, I was losing business because of days I wasn't there and made that transition to full time. Um, my personal opinion, I don't think anything is wrong with any of those options. I don't think anything's wrong with DSOs other than the fact that we don't run them. That's the only thing. Yeah. I think we allow private equity and business people to come in and steal our thing from us. And um, we um, somehow got thrown off track about partnerships and working together and bringing our money together to do a whole lot more than we can do by ourselves. And we missed that train. Um, and these guys came in and said, you know what? These doctors, they aren't business people. We know business, but we need them to run it. So let's control the money and let's just let these guys work. And that's essentially what DSOs are, the private equity groups that have a bunch of dentists working for them, which are highly compensated individuals, but these guys are making millions and billions. Whereas, you know, and that's the problem I have with it. But is it a, something to facilitate some good revenue? You guys can make great money doing it. The question is, is what do you do in between? Is it a career path? Or is it someplace you start and then you go do your own thing and then you bow out later? I still think associateship is a great opportunity because an associateship with an opportunity and path to partnership, that I think is great. And uh, because you work with your own surgeons, working with surgeons, you know, is, is great because you can, it, it's great to have someone like you around to bounce things off of. Uh, but I think that business side, guys, you're going to be great clinicians, all of you, because you're coming from the right place who's teaching, uh, teaching those things and practicing time. It's going to facilitate your efficiency and how much better you get. But the more you can feed yourself on that business side of things, it's going to set you apart. Because I'll tell you, the reality, guys, is you got a finite timeline that you want to practice. 
but you want to still continue to run that practice. And so it behooves you to get as much business acumen as you can to be ready. And if you got classmates or friends that you can link up with and figure out ways to do something that's bigger than yourselves together, it, it, it can turn out to be a pretty powerful thing. So then with that, I know um, some dental students, because uh, you touched on the subject as well, Dr. Collins, as far as being well-versed in uh, insurance and billing and all of that, um, mm -hmm. some students are actually considering taking business classes or pursuing their MBA. Do you think that that's worth it in a sense or um, just working in the front office and seeing how that process is? Uh, no, I, I think it's an excellent idea. I think for me, the way I went about it was the only way I knew. Um, if we had that opportunity when I was in dental school, I would have taken it um, or at least found a way to try to increase the maybe after the fact, you know. But uh, I think if you get an MBA, it's excellent because remember, that also gives you other career opportunities as well. You can run healthcare facilities. You know, some people don't want to practice, believe it or not, but they like having the dental background and have the idea of being a part. You can be president of a DSO. You know, you can be uh, working different healthcare facilities. Uh, Dr. Maupin, uh, who was president of here a long time and was there in my time, Dr. Maupin, I think, I can't remember how deep his clinical side went, but Dr. Maupin was a serious businessman and he pretty much cut his teeth in business and education. And, you know, is is one of the great uh, for Meharry, one of the great fundraisers of all time. I used to always think he should have been a senator, uh, but some people just have these different talents, and it depends on how you implement them. Um, but yes, uh, I think if you can get whatever business you can get, get it because the dental, the dental practice or surgery practice, whatever you call it, it's the business. You know, I hear people all the time talking about, oh, yeah, I have an accountant being specializes in dentistry. Listen, a business is a business. So you have expenses, you have, you know, liabilities, you have all these different things. They all go in the same categories. But we have to find a way that the big deal, guys, is what about when you're done? That's the big deal. And like you said, dental school is flown by. It's hard for me to believe that I've been out here practicing over 17 years. That's 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 surprising. But I can recall my first week of work. Uh, I came home one day and my wife said, there's a guy coming by to see you today. Coming by to see me like, what are you talking about? And she said, he's coming by to talk to you about when you're not an oral surgeon anymore. Mm. It's like, interesting. And so he came to talk about retirement planning and things such as things that a lot of times skip over us, especially, you know, if you're not thinking about it, you end up working so many years and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, what about preparation for my transition into not practicing anymore? You know, we have these different avenues, whether it's education and so forth, but you don't want to have to depend on that as your lifeline, you know? So, you know, for you, Evan, as you get, when you get ready to get out, you got to jump in that immediately. Same thing with you ladies. If you don't do a residency and you go out and start working, you want to start preparing or transitioning into retirement or whatever have you, even though it's the furthest thing from what's coming up, you want to be ready for that. And uh, that's something that we think about and talk about all the time uh, amongst peers, uh, fellow surgeons, dental practitioners, doesn't matter. We all know that our practice time is finite. 
Absolutely. Um, and with that, uh, how would you go about even um, earning multiple streams of income? Uh, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, how has that impacted your practice or, you know, your being in residency? How has COVID-19, um, did it make your world stop uh, when it, because I know a lot of businesses, a lot of dental offices, um, they had to stop seeing patients temporarily or only seeing emergency patients. Um, some are just getting, just now getting back to a new quote unquote normal when it comes to their patient base. Um, so how has the pandemic in, um, impacted your life? And was there a way that you had multiple streams of income so that you were, um, you weren't too badly affected? Um, well, I guess I'll start from, from that. Well, definitely second week of March, when everything shut down, we complied and we uh, we closed our doors uh, for uh, that last portion of March and all of April. And we didn't open back up until the beginning of May. And so you're right. That's significant time period. But we I never when I got to a point where your practice is going well to be, you always try to put yourself in a situation. You know how to talk about saving three, six, nine, 12 months of revenue to keep yourself running. Well, thank God we did that. And so um, I was at home, you know, with my family, but we were able to really make the best out of what was not a good situation. It's still not a good situation right now. Uh, but when we went back to work, uh, we are still kind of operating under some of the similar guidelines. We are seeing closer to our normal volume of patients, but my lobby remains closed. And so we are still going and uh, retrieving patients from the car every morning. We're taking temperatures at the car. We're taking blood pressures. We're interviewing patients, understanding that everybody's still not even going to tell you the truth. We've experienced that as well. People who have COVID. They not know they have it, but some do or been around someone or call you back, let you know they were positive. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we're keeping the proper PPE. And so we're really trying to limit how many people are actually coming in the office. So lobby remains closed. And we retrieve the patient. Surgery team goes and gets the patient. Surgery team takes the patient back to the car and uh, discharges the patient from there. So right now, the foreseeable future until a vaccine um, has been um, dispersed and uh, we see the numbers really going back. Um, we're not really doing any face-to-face -face consultations. We're doing, um, you know, telemedicine to the, you know, extent where we can. Of course, again, the industry guys, we're procedure-based, you know, but we don't have a lot of patients uh, in the actual operatories until it's time to have your procedure done. So we're going to discharge the patient we just finished. And then we're not going to bring that next patient in until that patient is gone. And of course, we're going to do some have some disinfectant uh, protocols that are going to kick in because we don't want to be the uh, the vector of anyone becoming sick. And I don't want my staff nor myself sick. We don't want to take that to our family. So we we're 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 ex we're exercising a lot of uh, uh, stringent protocols to try to keep everybody as safe as possible. But but yes, there are effects on practices, and everyone of course saw revenue loss. Some have seen themselves come back to normal. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, in the end, we'll all be fine if we can uh, hang in there. But it also comes back to what I was telling you guys on the business side. You can't live beyond your means. 
you know, and when I was talking about residency and how I needed that as a college student, I cared nothing about money. I just spent whatever money touched my hands, you know, having a ball, uh, no worry in the world. Then you get to dental school, I still had some of those similar habits and um, you get your little loan money and you, you know, you got your expenses you take care of, but you're trying to figure out ways to do things you still don't need to be doing. And you don't have in your mind saving, 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 savings. And all of a sudden I find myself in residency. I've got my wife and my two kids and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what have I done? And I tell you what, that was a grow up moment. And so you change, for me, it helped to change my perspective when it came to spending and saving. And, you know, I needed that, you know. And uh, so I just want to encourage you guys to uh, try to get your fiscal mindset. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourselves, but just be more smart about it. You talked about multiple streams. Uh, I have, um, I used to have two practices. I sold one, but I own the real estate of second practices practice. So now I'm a landlord, you know, so I think uh, commercial and residential property is always great. I also, uh, outside of uh, the normal uh, retirement planning, uh, we, you know, do some market investment, you know, stocks and things such as that, you know, uh, those companies that you can see remain solvent over long periods of time, you know, you see your funds are going to grow. So you do some portions to some on your own as well. You're going to do those vehicles that are there for you with the 401k and profit sharing and things such as that. But you want to step outside of that as well. You know, uh, it's just so much you guys can do. Uh, Dr. Otis Maxwell is a, a, a professor emeritus from the hair and passed away some years back. He would always say, you know, dentistry won't make you rich, but it can give you access to things that you can get involved in that can make the difference. Now, ministry can make you rich. <laughs> I will say that now. You find out now because of the volume and things that you can do because you can expand the business uh, platform for yourself. But you can also do so many other things if you just use the money wisely and have a strategy about it. I think, um, you know, just my perspective being in residency, uh, as far as COVID, um, this is our overall uh, volume of clinic patients um, back in March when everything kind of started. You know, it was this kind of connotation where uh, we kind of wanted uh, patients to avoid coming to the hospital, right? Um, the hospital was kind of seen as, you know, a place where only the most symptomatic patients needed to, you know, come to the uh, ED. Um, anyone else who was like kind of non-symptomatic, uh, we kind of like kind of sent home at that time. Um, but I think, you know, as we kind of learned more about COVID, how it was kind of transmitted, um, testing got a little bit better. I think throughout the summer, uh, things opened up a little bit more as far as our clinic patients and whatnot. Um, but being in California, we're in a, a little bit of a different uh, situation than a lot of other states right now. Um, since March, things really never opened back up completely. Um, so, you know, clinic um, is definitely not as busy as it was prior to COVID, but it's still definitely picking back up. Um, I think that as far as um, how it changed my residency experience, I was actually um, 
on emergency department rotation when COVID kind of started uh, increasing. This was in March of 2020. Wow. So um, I was actually in the ED. You know, it's it's one of those things that is very uncomfortable because, you know, uh, as an oral surgery resident, you know, it's something that I never thought that I would, you know, be in this situation. But at the same time, is this something that comes with the territory, right? Um, so, you know, you know, it was difficult sometimes to really go into work and really be enthusiastic about, you know, what I was doing. But at the same time, I did understand that I had the obligation and, you know, um, the commitment to, you know, do my job and do it well. So, um, you know, that was tough. It was it was definitely a moment that kind of stretched me. But I think, um, again, it's a learning experience. Right. Um, and I think that one of the things I did take away from COVID for sure um, is just kind of like what has already been kind of. Uh, said just about having multiple streams of income um, definitely increasing like just having some type of financial literacy I think is very important right um, we do have the opportunity to um, you know do some things that probably our parents didn't have the opportunity to do just because of you know the professions that we're in now but I think it's also important to understand that you know with that comes a lot of responsibility there are a lot of physicians uh, there are a lot of de- dentists, oral surgeons out here who are, you know, outliving their their means and understanding that just because you make a lot of money doesn't mean that you're automatically rich, right? Um, you can create a lot of bills for yourself. So I think um, residency, honestly, it kind of forces you to, um, you know, you have to live like a resident, right? Um, and I think understanding that you are an expense treat yourself as an expense right um and tell tell your money what to do right you understand that money is just a tool it's not the thing it's like it's not the thing but it's the thing to do the things we want to do right um so this not really valuing that um the money itself but understanding it, it is a tool and in order for us to kind of really um, take advantage and make the most of it, we have to tell it what to do. So I think Dr. Collins really kind of touched on, you know, um, the importance of having a plan, having, um, and I think also having people around you who um, are specializing in the things that you need them to specialize in, right? So we kind of talked about having an accountant, uh, having a financial advisor, you know, um, and, but then also doing things on your own time as well, um, understanding that, you know, anybody can take advantage of you. So having a fundamental understanding, you know, that you can't get taken advantage of, but you also understand that you need somebody who is specialized in that field who can tell you, you know, or um, kind of encourage you to do the things uh, you need to do in order to set yourself up for retirement and whatnot. Um, because I think your time is better served um, specializing in what it is that you do, right? If you're a dentist, then I think you should focus on doing that very well. And then, you know, hey, if you do want to get an MBA, I think that's I think that's great too. And really, you know, kind of focusing in on that after you kind of, um, you know, get this in a row um, and understanding that, you know, your time is valuable. So, um, you know, if you have the resources, you should pay those people to, you know, really get you right and set you up for your future. So, you know, that's kind of my mindset on it. Um, and I definitely will be picking people like, you know, Dr. Collins Brain and Dr. Dillon and all the people that I've kind of mentioned uh, earlier. 
I'll definitely be reaching out for them when the time comes for me to, you know, kind of start looking for, um, you know, opportunities after residency. Um, but then also just anything I feel like I need help with. I honestly don't have uh, too much pride to ask, you know, somebody who I feel like may have the answer. So. Right. So given um, COVID-19 and everything, and some people may be uh, a little bit nervous to go into, go into dentistry as a whole, even I know um, we talked about this on an episode in season two. Do you even want to be an oral maxillofacial surgeon? Do you want to be a dentist because of this, the impaction of COVID-19? And the thing about dentistry is that we always, we act like someone always has something. We have the proper PPE, gloves, mask, everything. Uh, I remember a professor was telling us one day, this patient just acts like the patient always has something. So we always take the precautions that we need to do, but we have to do extra precautions because of COVID-19. So what advice would you give someone who wants to go into oral and maxillofacial surgery due to, and uh, we're dealing with this pandemic right now? You know, I think uh, it just comes back to, um, you think about the interview question that we've all had, why do you want to be a dentist? You know, whether you had to write a personal statement on or why do you want to be an oral maxillofacial surgeon? Um, I'm going to be honest, you probably could back it up and say, well, tell me the real truth. And someone say, well, you know what? It's a high-end career and I probably can make some pretty good money. But you ever want to give us a very similar answer is that I want to serve my community. I want this, that, and so forth. I'm not saying that's not true, but none of us would do what we do for free. Let's be real. Yeah, you will not. And most of us that have come through private schools like Meharry and so forth, we borrowed a lot of money to do it. So the reality is you need to generate some revenue to make it make sense. And it's a stressful career path, whether you're GP, endo, perio. We're not going in there just having parties. We're actually that white coat has a blue collar. You're going to work. And so, uh, there is a side of you at that portion, but this is when uh, what we're dealing with now makes you really dig deep and say, what's the true purpose of why I'm doing this? Because you are putting yourself on the line. I can remember being an ODS as a dental student, third year dental student, just getting acclimated to the clinic. And we would have patients come in who were HIV positive. And that was an extremely sensitive situation because they were really nervous about us doing something. So the attending uh, would pretty much push us aside and make us observe because uh, they wanted to make sure everyone was safe. And so what you find as time goes on, you get in residence and so forth. For me, we had a ton of HIV positive patients when I got into residency and you learn to exercise universal precautions. You know, we wore gloves, we wore masks, we wore glasses, and you handled your sharks very carefully. You put your knee, your needle back in the sheath. You made sure that you were careful. You encouraged your assistants to be careful, which I still do this day. We don't, we don't go, we go, we work efficiently, but we don't work fast and sloppy because that's how people get injured. Well, we're taking universal precautions to a whole nother level now because we're dealing with something that's airborne. So again, the new universe precautions, you wear your mask, the proper mask, you, uh, you know, wear your shield, uh, make sure your gloves on, you wash your hands and you police each other. And you just, and, you, and of course, you make sure your staff is doing the right thing, too. You can't just be out here. You work in healthcare, You can't be out here going everywhere. And that's one thing, you know, I tell my assistants, uh, the business staff and so forth, guys, listen. 
people are trusting us, hoping we're doing the right thing. So we don't need to bring the problem to the office, to each other, and give it to our patients. We can't control them. There's so many variables, guys, we can't control. And so I find myself, man, I get to work. Before I walk in the door, I'm putting my mask on, and my mask is literally on all day. If I need to take my mask off, I'm like stepping outside, get a couple of deep breaths, and I come back in. So at the end of the day, you got lines everywhere and so forth. But it's, it's the cost of it. So people really have to, you know, as we used to say in football, it's a gut check time. You better det- determine why you're doing this and uh, what your true purpose for going after it is. Because this is when you decide. You can't say it, it can't just be about money. It's got to be bigger than that because we can get out here and do any kind of thing and make some money. There's a greater purpose here. And, uh, man, I just imagine Evan doing that ER rotation. Can any of you guys imagine that in the midst of the uh, growing COVID cases? Nope. <laughs> to learn to do surgery and you're in here and you see people come in and never leave. I mean, that's the thing about an uh, oral surgery residency is you're going you're gonna to see death. No question about it. In dental school, you don't see that. You get in residency, you're going to see it. You do your, your ICU rotation, you do your internal medicine. You're going to see people that you talk to, that you go and see every day. You're going to come in one day and they're going to be gone. And it messes you up for a minute. You're like, oh my goodness, how do you deal with this? You know, uh, I can recall doing a neurosurgery rest, uh, rotation and we had like three young men come in, under 20 years old, all shot in the head. Wow. And you're sitting there like, wow, okay. You know, it, and you end up finding yourself two different people because you almost have to turn your heart off because if you don't, you feel like you wouldn't be able to cope. And so you, you it's, it's just so many things. And, uh, but with what uh, Evan's going through residency with COVID is part of our day-to-day clinical, going to be part of you guys as well. You're in the clinics now. You got that. And then you add with surgery, everything else that comes along with it, because we fraternize and work with every specialty in the hospital. It's just you, you just have to really be in tune to your purpose and why you're there. You got to stay prayed up and uh, take a moment. And uh, you got to have a protocol. Come home. How are you going to handle your clothes? Everything. It, it just all comes into play. And uh, so I just encourage you guys just to be careful, be smart. Uh, listen to you professors. Don't think, oh, this person looks fine. I'm going to take my mask off or I'm going to just take a quick peek here. Not anymore, guys. Universal precautions at all times. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think Dr. Collins has mentioned something that's very important. This, yes, we have universal precautions, but I think he emphasized the new universal precautions, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy to think that you know, throughout this whole year, we've literally been trying to figure out exactly what are the guidelines uh, for COVID, right? Because it, it's been so fluid. And, um, you know, it just kind of points to the fact that kind of like what he's saying is there's universe, there's there's inherent risk with anything that we do, right? So just understanding um, why you're doing what you're doing, I think is going to really carry you throughout the day to day. With, with residency or just with anything, with life and even with dental school, right? Um, you have to kind of hold on to whatever uh, kind of got you there to kind of maintain and, and kind of keep you pushing because there's going to be days where you you really question, you know, 
what you're doing and um, understanding why you started is going to allow you to, uh, you know, continue and, and kind of see it, see it through. Um, I think that uh, Meharry really, you know, it, they do set you up for, for these type of situations, though. Kind of like what um, Dr. Collins is saying, you know, you see medically compromised patients in the clinics, right? Uh, you have the opportunity to work with these patients. And it's one of those things that you just, you, I mean, you have to treat every patient as if they do have, you know, HIV or hepatitis or whatever it may be, right? So, um, yeah, understanding that COVID is something that, you know, literally we are trying to figure out for the first time what to even do. So um, realizing that, you know, you're going to have to kind of roll with uh, <laughs> roll with the changes. What, what really can you do, right? Um, I think... At one point, there there wasn't even a guideline that mandated, you know, masks for the general public. We had to, you know, even think about that. You know, we were thinking, oh, just save the masks for the healthcare workers. So, you know, that changed. So understanding that, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what the guidelines are. So just, you know, trying to uh, kind of adhere by whatever they recommend, recommend is really, you know, all we can do um, as, as uh, healthcare providers and, you know, continue to show up every day. And, uh, you know, yeah, this is what we asked for. So, you know, there are things that come with it. So we have to, you know, you know, decide, you know, are we going to roll with it or are we going to be say, say, hey, you know, this is too much. This is where I kind of draw the line. This is, you know, I didn't sign up for this. So, uh, you know, this is one of those things that you kind of just roll with it. And, you know, like Dr. Collins said, you pray, you know, say say your prayers, you know, when you go to work and when you come back. And then, you know, you try to do what you can. I try to – uh like I try to change out my scrubs whenever I, you know, go into the hospital, you know, I, I wear, uh, you know, my regular clothes, I'll uh, change before I leave, I'll get a different pair, you know, I won't put my, my scrubs in my, um, in my own washing machine. So just little stuff that I, I try to do to kind of minimize that, you know, how much it, it helps or it doesn't help, I don't know, but, you know, I try to do whatever I can, so. Absolutely. Well, thank you both, Dr. Collins, Dr. Joseph, for being on the show. Gonna yeah. give a round of applause. Thank you so much. Um, do you both have any uh, closing remarks for our listeners? Um, you know what? I just I would encourage everybody out there that has an interest in oral surgery to seek it out. Uh, learn as much about it as you can. You know, ask current residents like Doc here and. Because I know they're open books. And you'll find most people who have gone into this career path or are active in it are open books. You know, um, Robin Daniel, I remember I asked him, what does it take to become oral surgeon? And I was a second, second year dental student. And it's funny, I thought he gave me the worst answer in the world. And later on, I was like, wow, he was right. His simple answer was courage. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything about grades. He didn't say anything about board scores, you know, and uh, all of dentistry, you know, again, our white coat has a blue collar. And, uh, you know, you just you learn to, as you say, roll with the punches, but you also have to have strategy about it. Uh, I personally think there's nothing out here greater than oral maxillofacial surgery. I think it is a very unique specialty of dentistry, very unique specialty of healthcare in general. I want you guys to think about this. Oral maxillofacial surgery is so unique that some schools have a pathway for medical students to become oral and maxillofacial surgeons. Oh, wow. 
So it is, a, you know, a highly coveted career path. Uh, you never want for work. Uh, you're always, uh, one of the challenges we have is as a black or maxillofacial surgeons, you are a big fish in a small pond. Almost 20 years ago, I found that to be an absolute blessing. And now 20 years in, it's a curse as well because we find ourselves always looking for the next Evan Josephs, looking for the next Jasmine Clyde, looking for the next Taylor Jackson, because we can't do it forever. And we want young doctors to come in and work with us and be the guys to keep it going. And there's just not a lot of us. You know, there may be 5,000 oral maxillofacial surgeons in the United States altogether. Uh, my last year residency at Howard, we had to do a research paper and mine was a demographic analysis of all the oral and maxillofacial surgery programs in the United States. And I basically contacted each program to find out how many minorities had been accepted to the program, including women. The numbers were very depressing. And you found that most people that look like us guys were training at either Howard, King Drew, which of course is now the new name is Harbor Oaks, UCLA Harbor Oaks, which is where Evan is at, uh, Harlem Hospital and Meharry. They train over 80 to 90% of all the surgeons. And a lot of these programs uh, never even give us a shot and really compounded on ladies of all cultures. It does your background, race, creative culture didn't matter. Uh, really gave ladies a very, very difficult time. So uh, we, uh, are in need of more minorities across the board. Um, I do find that most of the young docs are running straight to the DSOs. Uh, I don't know if it's a millennial thing or what, <laughs> you know, because you just go in and you see patients and you do make great money, but you always have to ask yourself if they decided they didn't want me anymore tomorrow, what would I do? You know, yeah. and so, you know, and how do I control my own destiny? So, like I said, I, I encourage anyone, whatever you're seeking out, uh, if oral surgery is something you're interested in, by all means, go for it. And um, I think you won't be disappointed. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been a great experience for sure. Um, and I just like, you know, I encourage anybody. Um, Kind of as Dr. Collins has said, you know, if you uh, kind of question yourself, I think, you know, um, that's definitely the place to start. I think that, you know, you definitely can do whatever you kind of set your mind up to uh, to do. Uh, I think understanding yourself first uh, will allow you to kind of pursue and dominate anything that you kind of decide to, uh, you know, uh, take on. So understanding that first is key. And uh, yeah, just holding on to, uh, you know, whatever you, it is that you believe in, definitely put that. Uh, up there, hold on to it, and uh, yeah, you know, reach out to me um, whenever. You know, I'm happy to help, and I think that uh, you'll find that most uh, Meharians kind of have that uh, that same feeling. You know, we're definitely uh, willing to help out wherever we can and however we can. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to any of us for sure. Hey, look, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say one more thing to mess with Taylor. Oh man. <laughs> When Taylor was 14 years old, oh, she came not to my office <laughs> to shadow me because she had this long-standing interest in dentistry. So her dad's one of my best friends. And he called like, brother, I need you to do me a favor. He said, let my daughter come observe you. Taylor came in that first case and she like disappeared. <laughs> and so here comes, my, 
my office manager came around and said, Doc, I don't think the baby going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> She's on the phone with her dad asking him to come get her. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor told her dad, he just went right in there. Like I was supposed to take my time to introduce myself to the incision. He just cut right in there. Oh, my God. Dad told her to take some deep breaths, drink a little water, and jump back in there. But I tell you what, when she jumped back in there, she never did jump back out. So extremely proud of her. She stuck to her guns. So whatever her vision was since she was a little girl, she has seen it through and she's still on the move right now. So congratulations, Taylor. Proud of you. And Jasmine, I know you're doing the same because if you're running with her, I know you must be about something real. So congratulations, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Collins. <laughs> I figured you would say that story. Then. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was it was just seeing things up close, you know, seeing the hand piece and because it was um, impacted uh, um, thirds. And I so that was just a lot for me. Like, wow, this is not like what I see on TV. So I, <laughs> I was not prepared. But uh, I do appreciate the both of you being guests um, on the show. Um, let's go ahead and wrap things up uh, and to transition into Taylor's takeaways. Uh, and today um, I want to discuss Zoom fatigue. Um, and Zoom fatigue, you know, that feeling where you're tired or burnt out, um, you know, on overusing uh, virtual platforms. Um, there's a name for that, and that's Zoom fatigue. Uh, so a few tips to combat this emotion is establishing no meeting time blocks, um, taking mental breaks in between back-to-back -back Zoom calls, uh, and even scheduling screen-free time in order to give your eyes a break from viewing the screen all day. Um, so that's all I have for you. Can we do that during class time? Just kidding. I know. Because <laughs> we're, we're on, yeah, attention. virtual class from 8 to 5. It's, it's, a, it's real. It's still I wish just I could do these right. virtually. <laughs> right. You do too, don't you? <laughs> right. Some virtual consults, I wish. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to end on um, saying that um, please vote, everybody. Please, please vote. I just got my absentee ballot from New York, and I just sent it back. I was going to take a picture of it and everything. Um, but please use your fundamental right and vote. Um, and there's a quote from John Lewis, um, rest in peace, John Lewis. Um, he said, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent tool that we have. Given this political climate that we're in, everything is ridiculous. When you turn on the TV, you just see something new. And it doesn't, every time I see something new, honestly, it doesn't surprise me. And it's sad. I think we've all become so desensitized to what's going on in the world right now. And that's pretty scary, honestly. I've never in my lifetime have would have thought that we'd be going through a pandemic, this political climate, um, you know, everything with Black Lives Matter, our Black men dying at the hands of police. It's just, it's a lot. It's especially trying to be a student, a number one student. That's the tunnel vision that we're trying to have. But, you know, we constantly have these things um, mm -hmm. that we're thinking about throughout our day. So I just really need everyone who listens to this podcast to please, please vote. And I know everybody on this episode would say the exact same thing. Absolutely. I voted. Yeah. I told my staff, I can't tell you who to vote for, but if you don't vote, you are fired. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I went to, to early vote myself. Uh -huh. yeah, according to labor laws, I really can't do that. But I just <laughs> told them, well, you know what? That's going to be my good trouble. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show and be sure to give us a shout out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table. Table.